to Open Mind UFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas. And in our other corner, we have Jason the Killer McClellan. Hello, Killer. Hello, sir. So uh, we're going to do something a little different today because uh, some of you might have seen and actually, we got a lot of views this weekend, so maybe you, a lot of you viewed it. But we released that video I've been talking about of uh, the Majestic 12 documents and the origins. It's essentially kind of similar to the UFO, uh, the letter that we sent to the Air Force about uh, some disinformation and what not. However, it's from the perspective of the origins of the Majestic 12 documents, so how UFO researchers n came to know about these documents, and it's hidden uh, origins, kind of some stuff that's been swept under the table a bit, I think. Anyway, we played, we, we released that video, so you can watch it on YouTube, and I want to be sure that you all catch it. However, if you have watched it, hopefully you don't mind, because we're going to play the audio for that in just a little bit here on the show as well. And um, I hope you don't mind. I think that it's just really important. And, uh, you know, I really like my listeners a whole lot. I think they're awesome. And I want to share with my listeners everything that we do. So I figured a lot of you might not have gotten online. Uh, some of you, uh, you know, I know are so busy that the podcast is what you're doing during work and stuff. So I decided to play the audio so you had all the info yourselves because I want to make sure you're informed. And I'm sure at least I will probably do a couple interviews in the next couple weeks uh, with people to talk a little bit more about this. So, for example, we're going to have a gentleman called Chris Lambright on soon, and, and he's got a really he's done a lot of research on all of this, and he feels that uh, perhaps uh, Benowitz, the man who uh, claims to have seen UFOs and was kind of the centerpiece of all this, really did see UFOs. So it's a perspective I want everybody to hear and uh, let him share his his evidence regarding all of this so uh to try to get out uh, all perspectives on this as much as possible so that's what we're going to be doing later on in the show however there has been a lot of ufo news going on and and we haven't caught you up uh recently done one of the ufo shows so we figured since the uh piece that i'm going to play you later today on the majestic 12 is about 30 minutes long we figured that Jason and I would come and talk about some of the other cool UFO news that's going down, people. So why don't we just uh, get right into it? Jason McClellan, let's talk some UFO news, buddy. UFO stories. I'm so excited to talk about UFO news, Alejandro, and we get to talk about uh, a few stories today. So with that 
being said, I think I'll start with the less exciting of uh, the stories I want to talk about. Right. So, yeah. So the least exciting to go to the most exciting, and the most exciting is probably pretty exciting if it's the one I think it is. Um, I don't know. It's a lot of pressure. I hope it's actually exciting and the one you think it is. But anyway, these are both good stories. I, I want to build some anticipation here. Yeah, so, I was trying to build titillation. All right, we will. We will. We love titillating our audience. Yeah, but, I like that. And it's fun to say titillating. It but. is. Well, I will start with uh, an interesting video from last week that was recorded by an 11-year-old girl. Now, this happened in the England town of Northampton, and so this 11-year-old girl was playing in the living room with her siblings, and she was going to close the uh, the curtains on the window when she noticed this weird fireball UFO it was performing loops and kind of dancing in the sky. Um, so she grabbed her mom's laptop and managed to record pretty good UFO video with her mom's laptop. Um, and it's a fascinating video, watching this weird fireball kind of loop through the sky and do some crazy movements. So the girl's mom contacted the local airfield there, Sywell Aerodome. But the representatives there said they had no idea. They didn't know anything about this fireball UFO. But interestingly, the next day, the local newspaper, the Northampton Chronicle and Echo, they also contacted the Sywell Aerodome, but they got a completely different response. Um, the a person in the control tower they spoke with said that they had uh, a big exhibition there that was part of a flying display at sunset where a glider shoots out flames from its wings. Um, it was an organized controlled display similar to one that they did last year. So I did a little digging, a very brief digging. This information was very easy to find. found out that uh, there was an aviation festival at the Aerodome called the Aero Expo UK that took place from May 30th through June 1st at the Sywell Aerodome. And there was an uh, aerobatic flight company called Glider FX that does these sort of night displays with fireworks attached to their wings. And we included a video with that story of their performance last year that shows the pretty much the exact movements that we see in the video. So it's pretty safe to say that that's what the girl recorded in this video. It is interesting with this story, though, that the mom claims she did contact the airfield and got a completely different story. Yeah, really weird. And uh, I love the video from last year because it's so cool looking. And I mean, if you play the videos together, you could see the exact same loop-de-loops and everything. But I've never seen these gliders with the flames on the side before. And I would love to go to an air show and see that because it looks so super cool. It looks really cool, especially when they do it, you know, kind of at, at, when the sun's going down and the dark sky really adds to it. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. I hadn't seen this before, and watching the video, it was it was pretty interesting, and I wanted to find out what it was. Um, it looked very similar to other things we've seen in many videos before with skydivers who have flames attached to their feet or wh mm -hmm. wherever. Um, similar in appearance, but when I saw the object go up and do loops, I thought, wait a second, skydivers can't go up? Yeah. Uh, it's pretty interesting. And then finding yeah. out that the glider, I was... Pretty happy with that identification, mm -hmm. but still unsure as to why the mother was unable to get an answer from the, the airfield, because mm -hmm. this is a big um, air uh, expo that happens there. Um, so I would 
think that everybody at the airfield would know that this thing was going on. And even if they didn't know there was going to be a glider show with fireworks, they would know that there's an air show and would be able to offer to this woman calling, wondering about an object in the sky, yeah. hey, we're having an air show. Yeah, and, what's with that? But, again, not knowing how big this airfield is and thinking about, like, a big airport. I mean, here in Phoenix, we have a gigantic international airport. Mm-hmm. Thinking you call the airport, you know, some people might call the tower. Some people might call ground control crew at some hangar and yeah. some guy cleaning up an oil spill. You know, <laughs> I don't have anything to do with a UFO over yeah. <laughs> our airport. Go yeah. away, crazy lady. But who yeah. knows? But I don't know I nothing po- about I, no UFOs. I will point out that mm-hmm. the person the newspaper conveniently was able to mm-hmm. reach in the tower, his name was supposedly Jeff Tower. Jeff Tower, who worked in the tower? Sounds pretty made up to me. Oh, this is just a bunch of malarkey. Who are they trying to fool? Only the dummies, I think. Who's going to believe that? That If somebody named Jeff Tower works in the control tower, please. Either that, I wonder if that inspired him wanting to get this job. I need to work in some sort of tower. Should I work in a fire tower? I think it'd be more fun to work in an airport tower. That's possible. Mm -hmm. Maybe he was born into it. He was born to be in some sort of tower. Yeah. Couldn't avoid it. And hopefully he chose the right tower. I hope so. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty stressful tower from what I hear. Good job, Mr. Tower. So, and uh, she also did a great job filming, and uh, we think that perhaps she has a future in this. That she's just an 11-year-old, but she got some great video. That's right, guys. Come on. Try harder. You have no excuse to not get a good UFO video. This 11-year-old girl with a laptop managed to get a pretty darn good UFO video. Mm-hmm. So all you people out there with your iPhones and, and even video cameras... That can't manage to get a good, stable, in-focus UFO video. You need to step up your game because you're yeah. being shown up by this 11-year-old girl. Yeah. And we think that MUFON should invite her to the symposium because they have, if you guys aren't aware, uh, field investigator training for a day before the conference starts, and she could probably do uh, some training. I think she would do a great job. People can learn from her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Way to go, Katie. Katie Way to go. All right, cool. Speaking of MUFON, uh, that's what I wanted to do because I'm going to cheat here a little bit and I'm going to kind of do several stories in one. I give you permission package. to cheat Thank yet you. again. <laughs> I always cheat a little bit, I guess. But, it's okay to uh, cheat a little bit. It's kind of fun. When you can cheat, why not? And yeah. it doesn't hurt anybody. I don't, I've never, we haven't gotten any uh, feedback that, oh, I can't believe you cheated. Does it take away from the fun of cheating, though, when I give you permission to cheat? Um, should I argue a little bit? Yeah, little conflict. Yeah, you should be like, oh, I don't know if we can do that, man. You know, I I don't really think that's allowed. I don't think we have the time to entertain this ridiculousness of yours. And frankly, I'm a little offended that you feel that you can jump in and 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 take advantage of the situation, and I'm stuck here not being able to do the same cheating. Well, Jason, what I'm doing here is sharing UFO information with the people, and the people have to know. You can't keep the truth from the people forever. The people will believe what you tell them to believe. Well, then I'm going to tell them to believe. All right, go for it. That was fun because I got to champion the people. Could have worked up a bit. Yeah. So uh, what's cool is that we have Roger Marsh now writing his stories on our Open Minds page, which is wonderful because Roger Marsh for a few years now has been writing uh, UFO stories for MUFON. He's their director of communication. 
And what he does is he, he looks at the sightings for the day, and he'll write up a story on them. And they're really fun stories. And I think what's great about these stories, because usually Jason and I, when we write a story, typically we choose stories that have photos or videos. Rarely do we do some. Sometimes we do, but rarely do we do some without photos or videos. But people still like them without the photos, and especially the way Roger does it, I think, because he puts in a lot of testimony from the witness. And I think people love to hear what the witnesses have to say because often they're very excited about the, what they saw. You can see their cognitive processes of trying to figure out what the heck it was that they saw. And I think that people relate to that, and I know a lot of you relate to that. I've gotten feedback when we have people who share their stories that they're like, yeah, that's how I felt, you know, or that's what I saw. So it's pretty fun. One of the things Roger also does is at the beginning of the month, he puts together the National UFO Alert. Dun, I repeat. Dun, dun. Yeah, there you go. I was waiting for a dun-dun-dun or something. And... um. And really, you know, it, it lets you know whether you should freak out or not about all the UFOs in your area. And just so you're aware, because some people might be like, and I had Roger on the show and I was like this. I was like, how am I supposed to know if I should freak out? Is it alert three I should freak out? Five, one, two? And, uh, but it's keep, one through five, right? One through five. One through five. alerts, yeah. Okay. So what's the scary one? The scary one is number one. Oh, man. DEFCON one. DEFCON yeah. 1 means that you are being nuked and your A is grass. <laughs> grass. I'm trying not to cuss so we Excellent. can keep it because we choose on Blog Talk, you know, if it's PG or not. We want to keep it family friendly. Okay. So, so no bad about, words. Should we talk about frozen in a little bit? Your butt is toasted. So, yeah, uh, it means bad news. It means freak out. So... And just so you're, you're not aware of, you know, when is the biggest or what, he is including in all the story a paragraph that says, you know, what uh, is the freak out level and which is not. And, uh, and that paragraph is very helpful because I do yeah. routinely forget which one yeah, is the bad me one. Too. So There's so many uh, alert monitors right. out there and stuff. You know, we get the things on our phone and we're like, oh, I can't remember if I'm supposed to freak out. Yeah. So it should be like, it should say freak out. It's time to freak out if it's, like, uh, a high level. Maybe you should change the numbers to something more obvious, like, it's all good, and then yeah. freak out. Yeah, not too freaky, but kind of, you know, could be one. So, and and right now it's based off of how many sightings happen in a state in a given period of time, a month in this case, Although they are modifying it because a little more accurate would be by population, so by person. And, uh, you know, if you look at our UFO hotspots, because we always do a story like that at the beginning of the year of uh, sightings for the previous year, we always do that. We show per population. And, and I know uh, he's working with Robert Powell, who we've had on the show, I think, a couple of times now. And he's the director of, of uh, he's in charge of the science department or what uh, group over there at MUFON. They're going to work something out like that because, of course, the, the places with higher populations have more reports. So, like California had the most sighting reports. They're in an alert level two. Um, you know, the kids are under the, their desks. You know, uh, it's, it's pretty hardcore out there right now. But uh, that's because they had over 100 sightings, and that's how you get an alert level two. 
And it's kind of interesting. They had 102 cases in May, 80 in April, 103 in March, 59 in February, and 102 in January. So it's kind of weird how every other month they are around this 102 level. What's going on? Well, maybe the... um would make sense if the UFO bases are in that area. They're going to have the same number of UFOs. Oh, yeah. It won't fluctuate. You know, those people are... Regularly are, scheduled UFO right. flights. That's right. Could be, could be. Some of the, But there are some places where you don't have to freak out at all. You can, like, be relaxed and, and chill. Well, where's the fun in that? Yeah, well, it's funny because the first place listed like that is Alabama... And Roger has been writing a lot of stories about Alabama. Interesting. And uh, we've got a good buddy uh, uh, Alabama, the MUFON director out there, Rich Hoffman, who also runs the MUFON uh, Facebook page, which people should check out. So, great guy. But Bama's uh, five, you said? Yeah, they're only out of five. Interesting. That is interesting because yeah. we've got a lot of stories. So that's really cool. So you'll have to check out that story. But just to overview some of the other stories that he's posted this week of uh, different sightings, California witnesses uh, reported triangular shape that that buzzed their car. And uh, I should mention, too, that this is cool because there have been, it seems like, an inordinate amount of triangles being reported. In May, on that same story, Roger writes about how circular-shaped objects, which is always usually the most popular, there are about 81 reported, but there were 78 triangular uh, UFO reports, and that and that's really close to the circular, which seems to be more than usual. But uh, these guys, a couple guys in California, said one came like within 20 feet of their car before flying off. So that was pretty cool while they're driving down the highway. That's cool, but also it's kind of scary. Yeah, so close to the car, um, that seems dangerous for both parties. Yeah, but uh, it's interesting with the the triangle UFOs. Yeah, there's a lot of triangle sightings. But now that you say that, it's interesting. I don't think. We've heard anything about any uh, sightings of the Dudley Dorito in the past year. Well, I think that, fortunately, the media has dropped that reference. And but the they Dudley Dorito it. was so so fun to say. Yeah, and then, you know, especially, it, was it a U.K. paper that came up with that? I but, think so. Yeah, people kept calling, calling the triangular UFOs another Dorito scene. Yeah, but it was in the, the Dudley area, and they, they would see these triangles a lot, and they'd call it mm-hmm. the Dudley Dorito. Yeah. I heard a lot about that a couple of years ago, but not recently. Yeah. But the triangle, you're right, the triangles haven't stopped, just, yeah. the, uh, just the moniker. Right, thank goodness. Yeah. But another one that's really a story that's done really well is uh, father and son leave scared after chasing a UFO in Wisconsin, and they had seen one. They followed it. It was an orange uh, flashing light they saw in the clouds. And uh, they eventually got so freaked out, they, they took off. They left um, because they got a little scared of what they had seen. Uh, another one is in uh, Alabama, one of the Alabama ones we talked about, where they actually got a photograph. And this was reportedly a cross-shaped UFO. They got some pictures, but the pictures are really hard to make anything out but some squiggly lines because, as we've talked about before, it's really difficult to get pictures of lights at night. Yeah. And uh, I, we've challenged people, if you doubt this, because people are like, why aren't there pictures? But go try to get a video or a picture of a, even an airplane at night, and it's really hard. And this, yeah, you, you read the title of the, the cross-shaped UFO, but you can't make out the cross because you just have blurred lights. 
mm-hmm. from a moving camera. Right, exactly. So you can't make out the cross. Yeah. Uh, a couple others, just real quick, is just a uh, weird object uh, above some trees that seemed to appear and disappear. Although he said this thing was pretty large, capsule-shaped. And then a, a historical one. And this is kind of cool, too. And, and people shouldn't be dissuaded from posting old UFO sightings because that's also helpful. Oh, so yeah. somebody last week posted a UFO sighting from 1975 of an egg-shaped object that they said they saw walking around in Canada, a town in Canada, uh, Abbotsford, and that they said it took off at Warp Drive. Yeah, I've never seen anything fly at warp speed So yeah. it, other than movies, so yeah. it would be hard to... That would be really neat to see something, is. though, like streak off. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming it's kind of like a shooting star where right. it leaves a trail and... Yeah. You know, and I do want to mention, I, I don't think we've written about it, and um, I know UFO Chronicles has covered it, and maybe we should write about it, but uh, there was a new discovery in the Lonnie Zamora case, which is probably the most uh, famous egg-shaped UFO, and just that one of the researchers, this is a one that happened back in, it was a long time ago, I think the 50s, no, 40s, Ugh. Now I can't remember exactly when, but it was decades ago. It was in Socorro, New Mexico, where this object, uh, this police officer was chasing a speeder, and but heard a loud boom. He goes over and he sees this egg-shaped object cruise by land. Uh, it's debatable. He says he didn't see the people sometimes, but two people around it or whatever. Then the object got up and, and flew off. He said he freaked out. You know, he jumped behind a. Uh, uh, a hill, but there were some uh, tripod marks and some burns in this area where he saw the object. The news that's come out now is that the at first he reported a shape on the side of the UFO uh, as being an inverted V with three lines across it. Then he changed his story to what people say talk about now. Well, uh, this researcher said that what happened is he was told by a friend, hey, or by a colleague, don't tell people what the real logo was so that if someone comes and says, I saw that, we can ask them, well, what was on the side of the craft? And if they say the right thing, then we know it's legitimate, just like they do a lot in police work where they yeah. leave facts out so that they can be sure that uh, someone really knows. So he's found some paperwork, and he's convinced that this is the case. So that's really interesting that the shape now is an inverted V with three lines across it is what was actually seen. And he's got a lot of great evidence to support this. So just an interesting little tidbit that's come out recently. It's so kind of detailed and it's uh, that I thought maybe, I don't know if it would be, you know, something our people would want to know. But it's an interesting fact that people ought to go look up. And I find egg-shaped UFOs fascinating mm-hmm. by themselves. And that's an interesting case. And then uh, a case we posted in our headlines today, um, some media source for some reason posted a story about a 1988 case from Australia, the uh, the Knowles family, where an egg-shaped UFO kind of attacked their car. And right. So I guess egg-shaped UFOs don't like cars. And uh, Yeah. Well, which is really interesting. And an egg shape is such an odd shape. And, of course, it was made fun of in Mork and Mindy, um, but uh, it, it's a popular shape as well. Yeah, and interesting thing about shapes, there are a lot of, you know, people's way of describing things varies, like, 
tremendously. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you met you just mentioned a, a capsule-shaped UFO, mm-hmm. you know, and and people's ideas of what a capsule is. Right. Different, you know, is yeah. that the same as a cigar shape? You know, what is it? So that's one of the really hard things when it comes down to reports and looking at the shapes that are reported when it comes to MUFON reports, because you can see how easily one person may describe something as egg-shaped and another capsule-shaped, or one may say V-shaped instead of chevron-shaped, or one may triangle. think a triangle looks like a chevron, or one may think an egg looks circular. So. Uh, it's it's really hard to know um, when it comes to shapes, you know, are, if people are reporting the same thing or not. Cigar, cylinder, mm-hmm. a lot of these things yeah. overlap. And right. So it, it, it becomes difficult. But at least, you know, when you look at the overall, I think you get some ideas. And um, it's great that David Marler, you know, has done research on the triangular craft. And, and uh, who was I talking to? Oh, I was on the radio show with Jimmy Church. Really cool guy, Fade to Black. And we were talking about that, um, how, uh, you know, a lot more research needs to be done with uh, people putting together databases and putting together the information to find trends with the different shapes. And really, it doesn't happen because who's got time, you know? Uh, I've, I tried to do that with my hotspot story, but we only have a limited amount of data that we can gather right. from just the online stuff. So, And I know MUFON's working on exporting their data so they can do things like that. So just takes time and resources, which is something that uh, we severely lack in the UFO research field. Yep, and you're not getting it unless uh, the aliens will not take away our time and give us missing time, but give us some added time. That'd be nice. Yeah, somehow really they cool. could do that. Yeah, yeah but I, I've mentioned it on the show before, but I do really thoroughly enjoy some of the more creative descriptions for UFOs, and they, they tend to be more about that in the U.K., We've about hamburger-shaped UFOs oh, and yeah. things like that. Well, you know, and out here, tabloids are not seen as a, you know, we, we look down upon tabloids. But the, the tabloidish papers out there are really popular. Right. So, uh, yeah, and they try to get more sensational and kind of silly with their titles. Hamburger-shaped UFOs, come on. Hamburger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Americans good. love their hamburgers. I don't know. I think you see a hamburger-shaped UFO, that automatically should jump it up to an alert level one. Yeah. But that actually has been a, a popular uh, shape, and I know Heineck used to talk about some of the popular shapes being ice cream cone shaped and stuff like that. I think people are just hungry when they're yeah. seeing U- UFOs. What's wrong with the, these uh, people? These were some of the shapes that were represented in Close Encounters, too, because yeah. they are getting a lot of Heineck stuff, so you can see the ice cream cone shaped That's funny. UFOs and stuff. Yeah. Cool stuff. I think it's your turn. I don't know. Now I'm hungry. I want to go eat. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's almost <laughs> lunchtime. All right. Well, let me talk about this story. I think this is a great story from, speaking of Australia, this is Australia's story. Um, a multiple witness UFO sighting, these are always exciting, um, happened just off the coast of the Sydney suburb, suburb of DY in New South Wales. So what happened here was a local resident, Don Jeffrey, was taking his morning stroll along the beach, um, and this was on Wednesday, June 4th. Time was just after 6.30 in the morning. Uh, The sun was coming up, and so he was walking along the beach like he normally does, and he noticed a group of what he says was approximately 20 to 30 people gathered on the beachfront. And so he goes over and asks these people, you know, what's going on, and he 
sees there looking at this object in the sky. Uh, he says that some thought that it could be uh, a plane coming in for a landing, but he points out that it stayed in the same spot for 10 minutes. Now, airplanes can create this illusion if they're coming directly toward where, where you are looking from your, your point, your vantage point. Um, it can seem to hover and not move at all, and you can really, really see this um, very easily at night. If you see airplanes coming in for a landing, they can just be these bright lights in the sky that don't move, and it can freak you out. But it is, in fact, an airplane coming in for a landing heading directly toward you. But this was viewed by approximately 30 people. It stayed in the same spot for 10 minutes, and the witness says it looked like a ta it looked like it had a tail. He described it as being disc-shaped, but then said it looked like it had a tail. Hmm. Tail would indicate perhaps an airplane. But he continued on on his his uh, his morning walk and got to a different vantage point and still saw the object hovering there. Uh, he managed to take a few pictures. He took them home and zoomed in on the object and. He's convinced that it definitely is not an airplane. Um, he says it was brighter than the sun, and he's open to the idea that it could be extraterrestrial. But hmm. this one is interesting because of the multiple witnesses. Uh, I will point out, however, that like with many cases, we have to take this at face value. We have to accept his word because we don't have statements from other witnesses or pictures of other witnesses, we know that he says there were 20 to 30 people looking at this object. Mm. So, believe the guy, what he's saying happened, yeah. and that makes it interesting. And others also, according to uh, what the story claims, others said um, that airplanes don't come in from that angle. People don't see airplanes where mm. this object was spotted. Right. So hopefully, and there are some UFO groups out there in Australia. Yeah, hopefully great they'll ones. look for some of these other witnesses because, yeah. uh, like you said, uh, until we get reports from them, that's all anecdotal. Right. But uh, really interesting. Yeah, really interesting. Cool. We got uh, got the photos, and it'd be great to hear from other witnesses. Mm -hmm. But we love multiple witness stories. Yep. Yep. So I'm not sure if. So the next one I want to talk about is just I want to give kudos to someone who doesn't get kudos often because he's kind of a behind-the-scenes kind of guy. And this is a neat story because uh, they did it so well and they, they made it come across so nice. And this is about Ray Fowler. And Ray Fowler, uh, well, a lot of you probably are familiar with him because you've read one of his UFO books. He's got like uh, 10 UFO books, uh, which, you know, some people have more, but his are so significant. They're some of the most important cases. So, for instance, he was the guy who wrote about the Allagash group. Uh, you know, uh, Maureen wrote an article in our, our magazine about it. Um, I know at the UFO Congress they've had the guys, a couple of the guys speak before, and uh, we'd love to have them back to the Congress. But uh, the Allagash abduction case is just an incredible one. The investigation was great because that's what almost what makes that case so wonderful it's a uh, multiple guys abducted but uh, Ray Fowler had them separately regressed and they they had said similar things without knowing it uh, so it makes it a great case also another woman named Betty Andreessen Luca uh, another abduction case that he wrote several books about but uh, Raymond Fowler has been in this for decades and 
now he's doing adult education classes. So it's kind of cool. The uh, program he does this through is through Adult Education of the Kennebunks is the name of the uh, program. But uh, he is doing adult education, teaching about UFOs and abductions and also out-of-body experiences, in particular uh, near-death experiences because uh, his father had one. I didn't know about this story. His father got hit by lightning, and his father said he had a near-death experience where um, he saw these beings, and you know, similar to what people talk about, and nobody believed him. So it, this is a, just an interesting story. Nobody believed, not even Ray Fowler believed his dad, until, for some reason, some neighbors who did believe him said, "Oh, you know, our son's uh, fighting in World War II, and we're, we haven't heard from him. We're worried about him." Do you know anything? Do you get a premonition since you had this near-death experience? And Ray Fowler, sure enough, had a dream. and Or Ray Fowler's dad had a dream about uh, the, the guy and, and a small dog and him being injured and in, in a battlefield or something like this. So he told them. Sure enough, they finally get a letter like a week later that says, I'm okay, um, but I was injured. Uh, luckily, this dog that uh, this little dog that our our you know platoon or whatever has adopted has been here comforting me, and he's been a big help. So they were really uh, surprised by that. And Ray Fowler, ever since, uh, was really into near-death experiences, which he's researched over the years. And one of his books, The Watchers Two, looks into the similarities of abduction experiences and near-death experiences, which he says, you know, have some similarities. So really interesting stuff. It's awesome that he's still out there because I know he doesn't do a lot of interviews or lecturing, and a lot of people felt that he was out of this field completely. But it's great to see that he's not, that he is still teaching people about uh, all of this stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it's fun to talk about him because I, I just really admire his work, and I feel that he is kind of one of these unsung hero guys where you don't hear a lot about him um he stays in the background but he's been so important to the field i loved hearing about this and it's mm -hmm. so awesome to see he really and truly does have this passion to to spread information and to educate mm -hmm. people and that's what he's doing i mean at his age i would be living it up and uh you know kicking back and relaxing but you know this is what he wants to do he wants to be out there teaching I think it's awesome, and I really hope we do get him for the conference. That'd be amazing. Yeah, that'd be really cool. That'd be great because uh, the UFO Congress is awesome, and we want to bring awesome people. That's right. The UFO Congress is awesome. People who come to the Congress are awesome, so we want to bring awesome people for those awesome people. Have you seen the Lego movie? No, I haven't. Oh, have you heard the song, Everything is Awesome? I'm an adult, Alejandro. Oh, you got to go to YouTube. Well, this is an adult. It's, it's funny. <laughs> Everything is awesome. It's great being part of a team. It's a really funny song. It's cool. All right. You got to look it up on YouTube. All right. I will do that. So, and then we've got to adapt it to the UFO Congress is awesome. Okay. That's good. All right. We'll sing it next week. So what, I'm assuming you have another story to talk about. I don't, but I can talk about another one. You should talk about another I one. I will talk about another one. I know you guys one. talk about this story on Spacing Out. Yep. So people got to go to Spacing Out to hear about more news stories and hear more about this one in particular. But I want to talk about this one, too, because, uh, again, on that Fade to Black show that I was on, um, we talked about it, and they were really floored. This is what's funny. I'm on this Fade to Black show, 
we talked, we were on for a long time. And he says, what else is interesting going on? And I totally forgot about this story. And then it popped into my mind. You know what? Jason wrote a story about this really cool video. Uh, and so I talked about it, and he went and looked at it. And he's like, oh, my gosh. So I was watching it at the same time, and I was thinking, this really is a great video. It is pretty exciting. So, yeah, Maureen and I talk about this on the most recent episode of Spacing Out. This uh, is an interesting UFO video that allegedly comes from an IR camera that was aboard a Homeland Security Black Hawk helicopter. And this is in Puerto Rico. Um, a UFO investigator managed to get a hold of this video uh, because apparently he has connections inside some sort of government agency that is housed at uh, this airport in Puerto Rico. And apparently there are several federal agencies there um, Several U.S. agencies and, and Homeland Security operations happen there. So this video shows an object seemingly moving through the sky at a high rate of speed. It's difficult to tell exactly how fast it's going, and we don't know how fast the helicopter's going. Uh, so it's difficult to determine a lot of things for certain. But just watching the video by itself, this object appears to be moving quite rapidly. Um, it does kind of dive down. It seems to buzz traffic. Again, a UFO buzzing cars. Uh, and then apparently crashes into the ocean. And when it emerges, this is the really weird part, it emerges as two objects, not mm -hmm. just one. It's really fascinating to watch this video. Now again, it is an, uh, an infrared video, so it's difficult to make out a lot of the, the detail and you know things when you're looking at IR video, they look kind of weird and it's difficult to distinguish certain things like what is water and what is land, where the sky is. kind of gets difficult with the, the color issue there. But it is a fascinating video. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. When it breaks into two, I kind of think maybe that's a reflection. I'm not sure. It's certainly a possibility. So it's hard to say and it looks like it's a video of a video um, mm -hmm. also. Mm -hmm. So... But it is really terribly interesting. I think you point out, and we um, gotten a bit of a, we gotten a, a slap fight, and you pulled my hair because we got arguing over this the other day. But uh, <laughs> he didn't really pull my hair. But um, we didn't really argue very much. But uh, <laughs> we debated. You're, you're undoing what you just did. I know that uh, you mentioned how it could look like it's moving so fast because the helicopter is moving. The movement of the helicopter. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, and that's yeah, if it was something more stationary, like a like a surveillance balloon yeah. or something like that, which they are apparently deploying in that area, um, yeah, I thought perhaps that could explain it. It might not be moving as fast as it seems. It could be the motion of the helicopter we're seeing. I don't know. Um, again, it, it, it's very possible that you know it could be a, a surveillance drone or, or something else, especially because this airport it's right over houses these many government entities and they do mm -hmm. surveillance in the area yeah. so it's a great video really yeah. cool you got to go to the website uh we've got so many stories going up we've got four you know three or four or five stories a day yeah we still have people who are writing for the magazine submitting stories uh we're going to have a lot more uh hopefully i can get to a couple of really cool historical stories from some of the writers from the magazine uh going up this week and uh, so if you go to articles, click on the articles link, you'll see some of these stories that you don't see on the front page anymore because uh, 
used to be you could go to our front page and pretty much everything from last week was on there. But uh, we've got so many coming out that you'll have to click on articles and you'll be able to see all of these that we're talking about. But, of course, this one also you can see on Spacing Out, which you're going to see on the front page. So check out our YouTube channel and uh, you'll be able to see the video and Jason and Maureen talking more about it. And I know many people are more uh, apt to be visual and like the visual stories. And as we pointed out, several of the Roger Marsh MUFON UFO sighting stories do not have visuals to accompany them, not, not uh, you know, direct photos or videos of the specific object being talked about. Mm-hmm. But I do, again, encourage people to read them because if you do enjoy reading about UFO sightings, there's some really good information in yeah. here and, you know, just all of the witness details right there as they saw it, as they reported it, yeah. are in these stories. So there's some really good information in there. Yeah. And luckily, I don't think we have to influence people too much. They seem to be looking at these stories a lot, which are really interesting. So that's really cool to see. Yeah. But I have a, a prediction. Okay. We haven't heard the last about the Puerto Rico video. That's a bold prediction, my friend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Why, are you going to talk about it next week? Go bold or go home. Isn't there a bold statement, something about being bold? I remember reading it, but I can't remember. Being bold is cool. No, it's actually something more um, better than that. You can make it whatever you want, my friend. Being bold is important. Well, you've got to think of something witty and clever, you know, a nice little... Yeah. Quote, and I, I can't come up with anything right now except for uh, being bold is, is something that uh, is good to do. I like that. <laughs> hey, again, you're allowed to cheat. <laughs> All right. Think about it, and then you can uh, come back with it next week. Okay, okay. I'll do Along that. with our Lego song. Everything is awesome. Everything is great when you're part of a team. So is that... I think we talked about all the news then, right? I think so. Okay, cool. So let's go ahead and uh, get into this whole sordid Dodie and MJ-12 affair. The Majestic 12 documents have become a part of the UFO mythos. They allege that there was a group of 12 men brought together in 1947 to manage the government's investigation of UFOs and maintain secrecy. But where did these documents come from? The answer to that question is usually oversimplified. The true history of their release is a complicated story which has never been told clearly and objectively. After months of research, we are bringing you that story. In order to tell the MJ-12 story, we have to tell you the story of a man named Paul Benowitz and his dealings with the U.S. Air Force in the 1980s. It's a sad story full of deceit and hoaxed government documents. In order to get the U.S. Air Force's version of the story, I submitted a Freedom of Information Act request. I received three files that seemingly tell the entire story of Benowitz's dealings with the Air Force. However, as we will learn later, there is much more to the story. Paul Benowitz was a scientist with contracts with the Air Force. He owned a humidity instrument manufacturing company called Thunder Scientific in Albuquerque, New Mexico. His home and his laboratory were located adjacent to Kirtland Air Force Base. According to the U.S. Air Force documents I received, Paul Benowitz approached Commander Ernest Edwards at Kirtland in late 1980, claiming he had evidence of threats against the base. 
He said he had taken photographs of UFOs over the Manzano weapons storage area. Threats such as these were taken serious, as this area did research and housed many nuclear weapons. On October 26, 1980, Kirtland sent two men to investigate. Jerry Miller, a scientific advisor for the Air Force, and Air Force Office of Special Investigations Special Agent Richard Doty. They reported that they looked at photographs and 2,600 feet of 8mm film of UFOs over the base. Benowitz also said he had recorded electrical magnetism being emitted from the Manzano area using electronic surveillance equipment he had pointed at the base. Benowitz believed the UFOs were producing electromagnetic pulses. Miller concluded after looking at the material that he could not determine for sure what Benowitz had filmed, but he did not believe it posed a threat to the base. As for the electromagnetic pulses, he informed the Foreign Technology Department, who intended to inspect Benowitz's material. In the end, it was concluded that the Air Force would not conduct any further investigation. Despite the Air Force deciding not to investigate, Benowitz apparently convinced people at the base to take a closer look at his material. The second Air Force document says a meeting took place on November 10, 1980 between Benowitz and several officers and scientists from the base. In the meeting, Benowitz presented his evidence of UFO activity and told the group he was in contact with the aliens that were flying the ships. At the end of the presentation, he told the group he wanted to obtain a grant from the Air Force to continue his investigation of the aliens. The document notes that one of the scientists would help him fill out the proper documents to submit his request. Tom Dooley, a member of the MUFON Board of Directors who had worked for the NSA, says he spoke to one of the Air Force officers who was present at the meeting. So they were afraid that he might be, might be getting into things that really we didn't want him going out and talking about. So they allowed him an audience with um, higher-ups uh, in the various commands that are there on Kirtland Air Force Base. And they brought the intelligence people in, and that included Tom Shea, which was at the time an intelligence officer on the base. And Tom's description of what went on there, <clears throat> once they introduced uh, Benowitz and he began to talk, he began to get into things that, that as the various people who were there, uh, once they determined that they had no interest in this, they'd leave the room. And basically what happened is that Benowitz was talking about these signals coming from aliens somewhere in space and, and, and to them, the people who were there and worried about what he was seeing and saying, um, they basically just eventually all got up and walked away. And, and in the end, they just thanked him for his time, and then he went on about his business. The Air Force document goes on to say that OSI agent Doty had received a call from New Mexico Senator Harrison Schmidt on the 26th of November. Schmidt asked what role the Air Force Office of Special Investigations were playing in the investigation of the UFOs reported by Benowitz. Doty advised him that there was no investigation. Schmidt said he would contact the Secretary of the Air Force to determine who should investigate the matter. The Air Force document goes on to say that OSI agent Doty had received a call from New Mexico Senator Harrison Schmidt on the 26th of November. 
Schmidt was a retired astronaut who went into space on the Apollo 17 mission. According to FBI documents, Schmidt had been an active advocate for investigations into the mysterious animal mutilations that had swept the Southwest in the late 70s. Schmidt organized a conference with law enforcement on the matter in 1979. This is where Schmidt and Benowitz first met, and Benowitz began updating Schmidt on his alien investigations. This helps explain Schmidt's calls to the Air Force. According to the files, the Air Force had no other interaction with Benowitz on the matter. However, the third Air Force file documents a visit by another New Mexico senator. This time it was Senator Pete Domenici. On July 30, 1981, he visited Kirtland Air Force's Inspector General and asked to speak to Agent Doty. They met and apparently Domenici then went directly to meet with Benowitz. The document says that Domenici's aide was asked why the senator wanted to speak with Doty. They were told that Domenici wanted to know if the Air Force had investigated Benowitz's UFO sighting. Domenici's aide was told that no formal investigation had been conducted. According to the Air Force, this is the extent of their involvement with Benowitz and his UFO claims. However, Benowitz and Doty have a different story. Benowitz says that a clandestine group was investigating his case and that he had continued contact with extraterrestrials. However, Doty's claims may be even more revealing. Many people have written about Doty and his claims regarding the matter and other alleged UFO incidents. Often his story changes and when pinned down on specific points, he has said the interviewer got it wrong. So for this investigation, I refer to Doty's own words from a 2005 appearance on Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. According to Doty, he was involved with an elaborate disinformation campaign against Benowitz and the whole UFO community. Doty says that Benowitz was actually recording secret projects that were taking place at Kirtland Air Force Base and in order to keep people, including the Soviets, from taking him seriously, Doty perpetuated Benowitz's belief that he was dealing with extraterrestrials. Doty flew Benowitz over Archuleta Mesa near the New Mexican town of Dulce to convince him that there was an alien base there. One of the other methods Doty employed was to create fake government documents. Doty was secretly aided by one of the luminaries of UFO research at the time, Bill Moore. Doty wrote, Moore was used to provide disinformation to ufologists. Moore confessed his role in the disinformation scheme at a mutual UFO network conference in 1989. The UFO research community was so upset by his admission that Moore left UFO research altogether. Prior to the disinformation fiasco, Moore's claim to fame in ufology was being one of the authors, along with Charles Berlitz, of the first book on the alleged Roswell UFO crash. The book was published in 1980. Moore worked with Stanton Friedman to interview witnesses, and although he was not credited as an author, Friedman was the driving force behind the Roswell research. Before Moore's book, the Roswell incident was unknown. Now, it has become a household name. According to Moore, he was recruited to work with Doty by a high-level intelligence official that he codenamed Falcon. 
Doty says Falcon worked for the Defense Intelligence Agency. However, it has never been definitively confirmed that Falcon even exists, and many people believe him to be made up. Doty said other UFO researchers had met Falcon, but those researchers have said those claims are false. Doty and Moore often gave bird code names to people they worked with. Their group of code names has become known as the Aviary. Moore says the first hoax document he was given to give Benowitz was a document called the Aquarius Memo. Moore says he was given the document in March 1981, but was hesitant to give Benowitz knowingly false information. He says he waited until that summer to give Benowitz the document, and when he did, he warned Benowitz it may not be real. The memo was dated November 1980, and it alleged that the Air Force had secretly investigated Benowitz's photographs as part of a project called Aquarius. The memo says the project was classified top secret with no dissemination outside of official intelligence channels with restricted access to MJ-12. This was the first reference to the alleged secret organization and it's in a document that both Doty and Moore have claimed was fabricated. The documents went on to claim NASA is monitoring the case and that Air Force OSI is gathering evidence and forwarding it to NASA. The timing of this document is important because of Senator Domenici's visit to Kirtland about Benowitz's case. Although the Air Force documents I received say that Doty told Benowitz his case was not being investigated, this hoax document would lead him to believe otherwise. This could be why Domenici wanted to talk to Doty, and although Doty was aware Benowitz had received this hoax document, according to the Air Force document on Domenici's visit, Doty still told Domenici that no investigation had been conducted. According to Doty, he was under orders to send out this disinformation, which meant he had lied to two senators about the true nature of the Air Force's dealings with Benowitz. I mean, I had a job to do, and I did my job. I mean, it, just like you served in the Air Force. I know you did, Art. That's right. You had a job in the Air Force. You did your job in the Air Force. That's right. I had a job in the Air Force. I did my job. I followed orders. Everything we did was following orders. They, they, we would... Uh, perhaps so, but my orders never included orders to, uh, never, to, to lie to people. Although this is the first mention of MJ-12, this is not the end of the story. The next document that was part of Doty's disinformation scheme was a collection of notes that was allegedly used to brief President Carter on UFOs. Moore says he first saw this document in March of 1983. He says he was told he would receive instructions on how to view the documents. This led him on a cloak and dagger trip across the country. It ended up in a hotel in upstate New York where he was met by a man who told him he could view the documents for 19 minutes. Moore says he took notes and pictures and when the 19 minutes were up, the man collected the documents and left. Moore never saw him again. The Carter document was labeled Top Secret Oricon, with the subject listed as Project Aquarius. It alleges that Carter's briefing took place on June 14, 1977 at the White House. It begins with a pilot sighting in Washington that made waves in the press. 
Senate summarized UFO crashes in the southwestern United States and alleged there were two craft that crashed in Roswell. It says the bodies and craft were sent to Los Alamos with some materials sent to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, home of Blue Book, the Air Force's official investigation into UFOs. The document claims an extraterrestrial being survived a crash in 1949 and called itself EBE, which stands for Extraterrestrial Biological Entity. It also says that ETs have been visiting Earth for 5,000 years and that the ETs planted a human on Earth about 2,000 years ago. Many assume this refers to Jesus. The document says MJ-12 manages the ET situation and that they are planning a slow release of this information. It also lists other projects related to UFOs and extraterrestrials, including the names Bando, Sigma, Snowbird, and Pounce. Although Moore did not mention Doty having anything to do with the Carter document, Doty did show the same or a very similar document to UFO and cattle mutilation researcher Linda Moulton Howe. Howe documents the incident in her book An Alien Harvest and has also talked to us about it in depth on Open Minds UFO Radio. She says she was invited by Doty to visit him at Kirtland Air Force Base in April of 1983. She says the visit started off strange. Doty did not pick her up from the airport. After some time, she was able to get in touch with one of his colleagues, Jerry Miller, the same gentleman who apparently accompanied Doty to Benowitz's house. She says when she reached the base, Doty seemed nervous. When they began talking about UFOs, he told her that a famous UFO sighting in New Mexico seen by police officer Lonnie Zamora was a mistake. It was supposed to have been at Holloman Air Force Base to meet government officials on April 24, 1964. According to Doty, the problem was corrected and the government met with the aliens at Holloman the following day. Doty then showed her what she believes is a Carter briefing but did not allow her to take notes. She says she remembers much of what the document said. There are slight differences from what Moore saw. For instance, it states that a UFO crash in Roswell in 1949 resulted in the live alien and that the government called it an EBE. It stated that the alien was taken to Los Alamos National Laboratories. It said the EBEs came from a binary star system 55 light years away and that they had been here for 25,000 years. It also mentioned the EBE created 2,000 years ago and said it was here to teach nonviolence and love. When Howe asked why she was being shown the material and not the New York Times or the Washington Post, Doty said it was because they were troublemakers. Although Doty denied ever talking about UFOs with Linda Howe to researcher Phil Class, on Coast to Coast AM, Doty admitted that she was part of the disinformation project and that he had met with her in Kirtland and shown her information pertaining to UFOs. In his infamous MUFON lecture in 1989, Moore told the audience that he began working with TV producer Jamie Shandera in 1982. Moore says he also started sharing information he was receiving from his government sources with Friedman. He says they all knew that 
some of the information was disinformation. This is important because it was Shandera who received what is commonly believed to be the first leaked Majestic 12 document. It was another presidential briefing on UFOs, but this one was for President Eisenhower. The document was on a roll of 35mm film Shandera received on December 11, 1984. The package was sent from Albuquerque, New Mexico, where Doty still worked as an OSI special agent. However, Doty has always denied having anything to do with it. This briefing was shorter but similar in content in that it began with the public's reaction to the Washington UFO sighting. Then it went on to explain the Roswell crash. There was an added section explaining that the Roswell crash prompted the creation of Majestic 12 and it listed who the members of the group were. Then it summarized a second UFO crash. Although Shandera received the document in 1984, only Moore and Friedman were allowed to see it. Moore says the group wanted to investigate the document further before releasing any information. During this time, allegedly acting on an anonymous tip, Shandera and Moore claimed to have found a supporting document in the National Archives on July 18, 1985. This document is a July 14, 1954 memo from Robert Cutler, Special Assistant to President Eisenhower to General Twining regarding a National Security Council MJ-12 Special Studies project. It is a short memo and discusses the date and time of a meeting, although it does not allude to the nature of the meeting. The National Archives has since released a paper outlining 10 points that pose problems for the authenticity of the document. Other than this memo, there is yet to be any verifiable official reference to MJ-12. Moore says that Doty was aware Shandera had received the document and that Doty was pressuring the group to release it to the public, but Moore says he and his colleagues insisted on doing more research. Meanwhile, in 1987, two British UFO researchers were offered the MJ-12 Eisenhower briefing. Jenny Randalls and Timothy Good. Randalls declined the offer, but Good accepted. He included the document in his book, Above Top Secret, which was published in 1987. However, before the book's publication, Good took the document to the Observer newspaper. They printed a story on the document on May 31, 1987. This was the first time this information had made it to the public and it was a hit. Good has never revealed who his source for the document was, but he says it was not Doty, although he feels Doty had something to do with its creation. Good says information provided by Doty should be taken with a grain of salt and believes the document is disinformation, but that a similar organization probably does exist. I think something like it definitely existed, no question about that. A number of people have come forward, including Dr. Eric Walker, a physicist, um, in conversation, a recorded conversation with American researcher William Steinman. He said, yes, there was such an organization, but as to whether it was called Majestic or Majestic 12, I don't know. What I do know is that I was the first to publish the MJ-12 documents. I do not think they are the originals. I think they're based on 
perhaps some information, but um, I'm not happy with, with the authenticity of them. Now that the document was out and more and company were scooped, they felt pressure to share their story. They held a press conference in June of 1987, sharing their story and the documents they had received and the memo they discovered at the National Archives. Good was not alone. Many suspected that Doty created the Majestic 12 documents, especially because of their similarity to the Aquarius document and the Carter briefing he had shown Linda Moulton Howe. However, he has always denied this. He wrote in an issue of the Saucer Schmear newsletter, I was not involved in any conspiracy with Moore to create any documents. If Moore was the original author of the MJ-12 documents, he did it without my assistance or my knowledge. Doty also said the FBI investigated him and he passed several lie detector tests, proving he did not create them. He wrote, I went through two government investigations regarding the MJ-12 documents. I was accused of creating them. Both investigations cleared me of any involvement with these documents. The FBI did investigate the MJ-12 documents and their report can be found online. However, the report does not mention Doty. It consists of the FBI asking the U.S. Air Force if the documents were real and the Air Force replying by writing the word bogus over the top of the document. As Doty noted, Moore was another suspect for hoaxing the documents. Suspicions increased when it was revealed that he had visited Bob Pratt, a writer for the National Enquirer and editor of the MUFON Journal in January of 1982 and proposed they write a non-fiction book about MJ-12 and Project Aquarius. The project fizzled mainly because Pratt wanted the book to be written as fiction as he could not confirm much of the information Moore was giving him. Another red flag for researchers comes from his research partner Stanton Friedman. Friedman says he was skeptical of the MJ-12 documents at first, but that after some research of the alleged members, he began to believe the group actually existed. He wrote a book called Top Secret Magic, published in 1997, on his research. In it, Friedman repeats a controversial statement he made. He said, The simple fact of the matter is that Moore, Shandera, and I had already picked up on all the names on the list prior to the receipt of the film, except for Dr. Donald Menzel, as a result of the many days spent in archival research begun a decade ago. I asked Friedman about this comment and how they compiled the list. We did our homework. We looked at who was where when with regard to Truman's office in 47. Uh, and there were certain obvious names. If you look at who was meeting with who and all that sort of stuff, it was all there. Some feel it is awfully coincidental that the list Moore and his associates had worked out found itself replicated in the MJ-12 document. The origins of the MJ-12 document certainly cast doubt on their authenticity. The first mention of MJ-12 came in the Aquarius document that Doty says he gave to Benowitz as disinformation. I was able to receive a copy of Doty's service records from the National Archives. Doty had become a special agent for Air Force OSI in February of 1980. It was a year later that Moore was given the Aquarius document with MJ-12's name in it. 
Why would a brand new agent be able to handle and disseminate information about the most secretive organization the United States has ever created? I asked Stanton Friedman this question. Good question, and I don't have an answer for you. You never know who's arranging disinformation to get people off on wrong trails. <clears throat> and my feeling is that the people who released that original role of film, I mean, they're the guys who would be in trouble. That's against the law to give classified information to people who don't have a clearance or a need to know. So those are the guys who got to be worried, you know, what's going to happen to them. And he may have been doing what he was told to do, put out red herrings, for want of a better phrase. Well, if you clutter the world with all kinds of stuff, you hope you diffuse the genuine stuff. Oh, well, that's phony, so this must be phony, too. As I say, I've shown that a number of the MJ-12 documents are phony. And I can prove it. The fact that a whole bunch are phony doesn't mean none are genuine. This is the kind of false reasoning you see throughout ufology. Uh, absence of evidence is evidence for absence, you know. Uh, if, you, if I can't provide them something they would like, uh, that means it doesn't exist. This story raises a number of questions. And although there was an FBI inquiry into the authenticity of the MJ-12 Eisenhower memo, the U.S. Air Force has not commented on this story. Was Doty under orders to disseminate disinformation as he claimed? If not, that means Doty was undertaking all of these activities while he was a special agent unbeknownst to his superiors. He did not leave the Air Force until 1988. He was honorably discharged from Kirtland as a master sergeant, although he says he was removed from the OSI for unrelated reasons late in his military career. The fallout of Doty's activities, besides creating a huge urban legend, went to another level when Benowitz was checked into a mental health facility in 1988. He'd become so paranoid about an inevitable alien invasion that he was obsessed with the idea. When he came out of the hospital, he no longer participated in UFO research. Benowitz passed away in June of 2003. I worked with Air Force OSI's Public Affairs Department to research this story. I was told that once my requests for the records were received, I would be put in contact with someone in the Air Force who can make an official statement about the whole affair. However, once I received the documents, I was told they had nothing further to say. I sent a letter emphasizing why it's important that they comment on this story, but the response has always been that they have given me everything they have on the matter. I will post this letter which details other hoax documents Doty has been linked to and all of my sources for this story at openminds.tv. We will also continue to pursue a response from the Air Force and you can help by emailing and calling them yourselves. This story has nearly been lost to obscurity, but any discussion about the authenticity of the Majestic 12 documents must include their true origins. For Open Minds, I'm Alejandro Rojas. All right, thank you so much to me.
Usually I say thank you to the guests, but uh, that was me talking right there. So I hope you really enjoyed that. I know it's so complicated, at least for me, when I was putting all this together. I have to have a timeline that I refer to constantly. Even today on a regular basis, I refer to a timeline. Uh, So a lot of interesting stuff. And what's interesting is really what I covered there is only the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more. In fact, you can see a story a little bit about Serpo and some other stuff, which is another Doty kind of thing, and uh, uh, Umberto Viziano, uh, one of our writers from Italy, wrote about that on the website. You can read some more there or just go do some exploring. If you go to the UFO, uh, the U.S. Air Force letter that I wrote, which is still on the front page under the government section, you'll see links to all of the sources, and there are tons of them. And what I tried to stick to were very valid, credible sources, not just, uh, you know, some other UFO researchers said this, or uh, not just assumptions or hearsay. I went directly to sources here to make sure that we could put together what we know and not just what is the mythology or what people are saying or the rumors out there. Also, there are a couple other great researchers who have looked into all of this, so we're going to have them on soon. I know Kevin Randall wrote a new book. I've been in contact with him, so we're going to have him on talk about his new book and talk about this stuff because he's been really into it, and he was around when all of this went down. Um, hopefully I can get Robert Hastings on. He's been a big help. Uh, he was around and he wrote uh, a link that you can find on the story called Bird Droppings, which uh, his take on all of this. And he was around when all of this went down. In fact, because he was pressuring Bill Moore saying, hey, something funny is going on here. He was the one to discover that Bill Moore, something fishy was going on, kind of forcing Bill Moore to come out and admit that, yeah, I have been working with Doty. So... Uh, Robert Hastings, just like today, uh, back then, has always been on the cutting edge and does some great work. And then uh, real soon here, we're going to have Chris Lambright. Lambert, uh, hopefully I'm getting his last name right. But he's written a lot about this and has interviewed a lot of the people. And he has a different take on all of this that I think you all, all find really interesting. So uh, we'll have him on soon as well. So we'll talk a little bit more about it. Hopefully it won't bore you, but uh, we'll just, uh, you know, touch on this a a bit here and there and then uh, move on to, of course, all of the other incredibly interesting topics in this field. So a lot of exciting stuff. We're going to be going to MUFON uh, and there's going to be a lot of cool stuff there. Jason and Maureen are uh, also coming with me to Roswell. So they're going to get some interviews to put on spacing out. And uh, also, if if you can make it, come out there and spend July 4th with us and I'll be doing a couple talks and it's going to be a lot of fun. And then there is Contact in the Desert as well, and I'll be out there doing a talk, and uh, it's going to be fun. All summer long, we're going to be hanging out, with, uh, hanging out with some of our cool UFO research buddies at these different conferences, and hopefully you too. So come say hi. Uh, I know a lot of you do, and it's really awesome when you do. It's so fun to get to know some of you. And often, you know, some of you who listen to the show come up and we start talking and we become buddies or at least Facebook buddies and stuff and and get to converse back and forth. And that's always really cool. So uh, thank you all so much for listening to the show. 
Don't forget to check out Spacing Out. Go to openminds.tv to see all of the stories that we talk about. Again, as usual, I want to thank Caleb Hanks for the opening and close music. I always get a lot of response that they love the music. If you love his music, go check out more. Go to clerkchronicles.com or just Google Caleb and Kirk, Clerk Chronicles and you'll be able to find this. And uh, he lets you download his music for free. He's got a whole EP out there. We were playing some of his music uh, last month. You probably remember that. But it's great stuff. I love it. I listen to it in the car regularly. I think he's incredibly talented. So thank you to Caleb for the open and close music. Again, thank you all for joining us. And join us next week for another great show. Adios, muchachos. <laughs>